Hi, I'm Dr. James Ahrens, the ADHD author and veterinarian. Welcome to Podcast 25, Equine Reproduction Fellow. In the second year of my solo practice, I was hired by Creston Oaks Arabians, a large horse ranch, to oversee their breeding operations. Unlike cows, which can be bred pretty much any time during the year, horses are seasonal breeders, with the vast majority coming into heat during late winter and early spring. After collecting semen from world-famous stallions, it was my job to infuse the valuable semen into mares as they progress through their cycles. Using both my ultrasound probe as well as feeling the ovaries in the palm of my hand via rectal palpation, I would determine when it was time to inseminate the girls. I'm introducing this section with the song Lay Down Sally, sung by Bandana, the band Rick and Joe played in. Little Eric Clapton Sloan.
Chapter 32 Equine Repro Man Throughout the fall of 1985, I finished outfitting my office in Paso and increased my small animal workload. I also expanded into the reproduction aspect of equine medicine. I had purchased the accounts of a disillusioned young veterinarian, Dr. Sandy Kay, who was leaving vet med to focus on being a realtor in the Monterey area. She told me I was a person who could fall into a mud hole and come up with a fish in my pocket. In reality, I hooked my fish by being always available to my clients. One of her clients became a significant account for me. Sandy had been the vet for Thistledown Farms, a warm blood horse breeding operation in Atascadero. I needed to upgrade my skills in both small animal medicine and equine reproduction. In January 1986, I spent a weekend seminar at Alamo Pintado Equine Clinic in Santa Ynez to refresh myself on equine limb and hoof problems. On another January weekend, I drove to Lake Tahoe to learn how to use the external skeletal fixation devices to stabilize long bone fractures of small animals. And I invested in an ultrasound machine allowing me to image the equine reproductive tract. When the breeding season started in February, I was able to offer uterine cytology, uterine cultures, and uterine biopsies, which ensured the mare was fit to breed. Tina was the repro tech at Creston Oaks Arabians, another large horse breeding ranch. Each mare needed to pass a pre-breeding exam before going into the artificial insemination lineup. Mares are seasonal reproducers, and February is the time of year they begin their cycle, especially if they have been subjected to an increased light regimen starting around Christmas. A mare's cycle is shorter than a woman's. It lasts three weeks, but the horse only shows real evidence of heat for about five of those days. So the mare is in season for the better part of a week, followed by 16 days out, and if she is not bred, the cycle repeats. Mares ovulate about the fifth day of the cycle, and you know she is receptive by watching the change in her behavior. She's only focused on getting bred, and that means you are now second fiddle, in regards to things like dressage training or even trail riding. It gets irritating when someone's mare can't settle down during the entire trip. Just before coming into season, and often for the first few days of it, they show signs of heat. Some mares are irritable and sensitive to touch, they may threaten to kick or even bite. Part of this is because the hormonal changes are making her focus elsewhere, 
so that she is more easily startled. Pressure pain from the enlarging follicle and pulsations in the ducts that will carry the egg to the uterus are also likely involved. Typical signs the mare is in season include holding the tail elevated, we call this flagging. And we look for winking. The gal stands with her feet farther apart than usual, as if she is going to urinate. But only a small amount of urine comes forth as she winks at you by opening and closing the lips of her vulva. All these signs are due to the hormone estrogen, flooding the mare from her growing follicle, pushing her into heat. This estrogen-induced flamboyancy intensifies over a few days, stopping after she ovulates. These are the signs of being in full-blown heat. For mares not artificially pulled into early heat by barn lighting regimens, the reproductive behavior is most likely to be noticed between April and September. For a few months on either side of that, the ovaries are transitional. They are in the process of either gearing up for spring or slowing down for winter, and may produce one or multiple non-performing follicles at random times. During spring and full transition periods, the mare may or may not show signs of being in season. Once Tina identified a horse as coming into estrus, she arranged a pre-breeding exam. The breeding shed is a two-room affair, the lab and the horse room. The horse space is the largest. There is a metal pipe cage with swinging doors where the mare stands comfortably and accessible to procedures. And in the other corner is a dummy horse set in a permanent receptive pose, mainly a barrel attached to a pole with gimmicks and pretties attached. Tina would find a mare in heat and call me to perform a uterine culture, cytology, and biopsy. If all those tests came back normal, we'd short-cycle her in the middle of her next cycle, setting her in line for AI, artificial insemination. If any results came back abnormal, I worked to resolve the problem. Usually it was an infection in the uterus. While I was in the ranch office reviewing Tina's paperwork regarding the mare's cycling history, she was in the breeding area getting the mare ready for me. The horse was caught up in the metal cage called stocks and held with a lead rope by a handler standing in front of her. Usually we only needed one controller, but two were helpful in mid-season. Tina wrapped a tail with a six-inch long roll of brown gauze to prevent hair from getting in the way of our exam. I readied for the rectal palpation by pulling a long plastic tube sleeve up to my right armpit and dripping copious amounts of lube onto and around my hand and wrist. Smearing the lube on her anal sphincter and holding my fingers in a teepee formation, I pushed it into her rectum searching for feces. The poop had to come out before I could work myself in. After evacuating the rectum, I dove back in and began my methodical review of the mare's organs with my fingers. I felt for the tone of the cervix and uterus as well as the activity of the ovaries, in other words, whether or not they had follicles. If I could feel them, it meant she was cycling. That was the prep work, the rectal palpation. I palpated everyone in heat a few times throughout the month to get a feel for where the mare was in her yearly, then monthly cycle. Tina and I did this for the entire herd each year. The gals that still had babies suckling required an extra handler. Even these new moms were assessed for the next AI reception. Today we were doing a pre-breed workup on a mare in burning heat. The horse was stamping her feet, and the handler was yelling at her and yanking her lead rope. Tina smiled, refocusing on tidying the rear up for the vaginal probe by scrubbing the vulvar area a few more times, making sure to get goobers out of cracks and crevices because cleanliness is essential. When she was sure it was clean enough, she nodded and allowed me to take over. I unsheathed a vaginal speculum, a 12-inch long reflective cardboard tube. That and a flashlight allowed me to see into the vagina beyond the vulvar lips. 
Pointing the flashlight beam along the long silver tube, I pushed the speculum forward and a little downward, looking for the cervix. It is the primary structure in the vagina, and looks like a round mound of tissue with a hollow center. The os, or opening of the uterus. This mare cervix was floppy and flaccid, leaning downward as if it were tired, or hiding the os from the penis possibly, in a kind of hormonal pretease. I scanned the walls of the vagina looking for abnormal bumps or redness, especially checking on the vaginal floor for signs of irritation, suggesting urine pooling. Everything seemed fine. I then guided a swab into the uterus through a protective tube to keep it from getting contaminated from the outside. The specimen was then rolled onto a blood auger plate and then a glass slide to give me a culture and cytology. If no bacteria grew on the blood auger after three days in the incubator, the mare was clean. Cytology would also bear this out showing only normal vaginal epithelial cells, not white cells, suggestive of inflammation and infection. Finally, I penetrated the cervix a final time pushing a two-foot-long uterine biopsy forceps with jaws to dig into the uterus and acquire a piece of tissue for histopathology. This was the last of the three tests. The small tissue sample was dropped into formalin and sent to the laboratory for histopathology. After all these results were in, Tina and I let the clean mare go for ten days, then short-cycled her with a prostaglandin injection to get her into breeding ASAP. Tina was set to inseminate her when I told her it was time. Now we needed to chart the growth of the follicle on the ovary until it burst open, freeing a mature egg to mate with the sperm that were ready to be dropped in at the perfect moment. Using my black and white ultrasound to image the ovaries, I looked for enlarging black spots growing from the whiteness of the ovarian tissue. These dark regions are called follicles, and each follicle contains one egg. The follicle is increasing in blackness because the follicular fluid surrounding the activating egg is expanding, continuing to fill with fluid until it ruptures, usually when the follicle enlarges to 45 millimeters, about the size of four fingers. The rupture is termed ovulation. Breeding starts when the egg is released, traveling from the ovary into the oviduct of the uterus. Spermatozoa have more than sufficient stamina and willpower to swim across the entire uterine body. Picking a horn to glide up, some meet the egg as it drops into the fingers on the oviduct. These fimbria gather the ovulated egg towards them, pushing it into the oviduct so the baby grows inside the uterus and not ectopically. Following ovulation, the black fluid-filled follicle collapses as it releases the egg, and the surrounding ovarian tissue reverts to a solid white as it develops into tissue secreting progesterone, the pregnancy hormone. Fourteen days after insemination, we began uterine scans looking for a growing black circle floating in the uterus, now called a vesicle. This developing embryo floats freely in the mare's uterus for another week or so before settling in to implantation. Periodic scans are done to make sure the pregnancy remains viable. At the 30-day scan, I can see the heartbeat of the baby. The next scan is scheduled for 45 days, because a mare aborting her fetus usually does so by this time. In February, I was the primary repro vet at Creston Oaks Arabian Horse Ranch, spending four hours Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings doing reproductive work on a large number of mares. End of chapter. Thank you all for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick My Books, and click on Fear of Failure. The entire autobiography can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book, or an ebook. 
as well as an 11-disc audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com. I'll end the podcast by playing Twist the Night Away, another song by Bandana. Thank you, Rick Bear and Joe Gelia. Twist again. Ah, oh, let's twist again. 